0: So my question this morning to kick off this titled sermon, One Mission, is this. What do you want to be when you grow up? You know, if you asked me as a child, I would have told you I want to be a professional football player. I grew up in Baltimore. The Baltimore Colts were our team. I loved Johnny Unitas, and um, I have a picture with him when I'm five years old, me and Johnny Unitas. And so I just loved football. I still do. In fact, today's Super Bowl Sunday. Believe it or not, and um, and so I had the occasion to ask some of the children in our Sunday school this morning, "What do they want to be when they grow up?" Do you want to know what they said? Of course, you do. Three of them want to be veterinarians. They want to take care of animals. One wants to be an art teacher. One wants to be a ninja artist. Okay. One a superhero. One of them actually wants to be a spy, so watch what you're saying when he's around. And then lastly, one of them says, I want to do what you do. And I said, what is that? He said, I want to preach. And so I said, man, that's an awesome aspiration to be able to preach God's word. So my question to all of us this morning is, have we found our life purpose You know, if you ask the Apostle Paul what his life purpose is prior to his conversion, you know what he would have said? He would have said, I want to be a Pharisee of Pharisees. I want to be the most religious man anybody has ever met until he met Jesus. So if you have your Bibles with you and you are able to stand, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. We're going to look in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 24, your pew Bible, that would be page 1079, 1079. Acts 20, beginning in verse 22. These are Paul's words. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Father, this is your word. We thank you that Paul... Uh, spoke these words to leaders from the church in ephesus it helps us to understand his one mission may we learn from him what our mission is this morning in jesus name we pray amen you know up on the screen here i have a map and it's a map of the missionary journeys of the apostle paul As most of us know, Paul was converted on the road to Damascus. He was headed there to persecute Christians and to haul them off to jail. He was against the way, which is the followers of Jesus Christ. And so he was going on his way to persecute Christians. And then the Lord met him and spoke to him and said, Saul, this is his name prior to Paul, Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? Interesting how Jesus put that. Jesus appeared to him in heavenly glory and he said, why do you persecute me? The reason he could say that is because when Paul persecutes the church of Jesus Christ, he is persecuting Jesus, who is the head of the church. He is the chief cornerstone and the capstone. And so Paul then was converted spent many years in Arabia after his conversion, went into Jerusalem, and then of course he goes on his first missionary journey. If you turn back in your Bibles with me, the Acts chapter 13 begins the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul with Barnabas. They leave the church in Antioch and they go on their first missionary journey. And then if you skip over a couple of chapters, you'll see that Uh, At the end of chapter 15, uh, Paul begins his second missionary journey. And then, if you skip over a couple more chapters, he begins his third missionary journey at the end of chapter 18, uh, beginning in verse 23. And so, Paul conducts these three missionary journeys throughout the Roman Empire... Between the years of about the late 40s to the late 50s, over a 10-year span of time, Paul conducts these three missionary journeys. And he has many traveling companions, but in every city that he goes to, he goes into the synagogues and he reasons with the Jews that Jesus is in fact the Messiah. And then, of course, he also invites Gentiles because Jesus had called him to be his chosen instrument to the Gentiles. And so Paul plants churches. Well, if you look at the New Testament, you'll see many of the churches that Paul planted. He had a, he, There was a church in Rome that he wrote to, Romans. There was a church in Corinth in modern-day Greece that he wrote two letters to. There was a church in Galatia in modern-day Turkey. There was a church in uh, Colossa, which is also in modern-day Turkey. There was a church in Ephesus and a church in Philippi and a church in Thessalonica. You see, all these New Testament letters from Paul are him writing back to the churches that he planted. He also sent letters to friends of his, Titus and to Philemon, and then, of course, to Timothy. So we see that the New Testament bears the record of Paul living out his one mission, which was to testify to the gospel of God's grace. So if you turn over to chapter 20, that's the context into where we find our text this morning. Paul is at the rear end of his third missionary journey. He has come over from Greece. He has come down to the western coast of modern-day Turkey, and he is in Miletus. And when he's in Miletus, he sends for the leaders of the church in Ephesus to come down. He wants to encourage them with some final words as he makes his way back to Jerusalem. And it's in that context that we see these tender words of Paul. And really what we learn from Paul, you know, God's call on Paul applies to us all. God's call on Paul applies to us all. And we're going to look at two godly attributes of every fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. First and foremost, they are spirit-filled. Look at what it says there. Spirit-filled. Look at what it says there in verse 22. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every way, every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. You see, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and he was warned by the Spirit. But what does it mean to be Spirit filled? Spirit filled. Uh, you know, it's interesting in the Old Testament when God had led Moses and the Israelites out of Egypt and taken them through the wilderness, He had them build a tabernacle, a mobile place of worship. And it was where God would meet with Moses in the tabernacle. It was him being present with him in the tabernacle so that he could give him instruction. It's interesting that when they built the temple, the holy place, the most holy place, was where God's presence existed, in the presence of the high priest. At the time it was Aaron, but of course we know we have a great high priest Jesus Christ who has already gone in to the heavenly tabernacle. But you see the Old Testament shows us that God himself, God the Father, dwelt among men by means of a tabernacle or temple. And then the New Testament comes in of God himself, the Son of God, Jesus Christ in the flesh comes. We learn in John chapter 1. The Sunday school classes are going through John right now. And in John chapter 1, it says in verse 14, And the word, that is Jesus, became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. The word dwelling there literally means tabernacle. He tabernacled among us. That's why he was given the name Emmanuel. God with us so in the Old Testament, you see the Father, and then Jesus comes and we see him in the flesh. It's God dwelling among men. but then Jesus, in the upper room, just before he is taken up into glory, he tells his disciples, "I have to go so that the comforter, the Holy Spirit, may come, so that when the Holy Spirit comes and indwells every believer in me." then the Holy Spirit will have rule and reign in their life, and they will be tabernacles among the rest of the world. And that's, if you're a Christian this morning, you have the indwelling Holy Spirit living in you. To tie this all together, in Corinthians we are told, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so God now, he, it's God the Father in the Old Testament then Jesus, and now we, the church, we have the Holy Spirit living in us, the triune God is at work in this world. You see, the Bible tells us that walking in the Spirit helps us to resist sin. And that if we are led by the Spirit, it means that we are no longer under the law, but we are under the Spirit's leadership. So when we are Spirit-filled, understand When we are Spirit-filled, we don't get more of the Spirit. The Spirit gets more of us. And when you understand that principle, then the key to leading a victorious Christian life is that you let the Holy Spirit drive every single breath, thought, action, and deed that you do. When you do that, then you will have an impact on the world around you. And, of course, that's what Paul was. He was spirit-filled. But you may ask me the question, how do I let the spirit have control of me? Well, I tell Sunday school classes all the time, you have to implement a DQT. A DQT. And I'll never forget, a youth leader was taking his group out to the beach one summer, and he said, listen, kids, you have to have a DQT. And he said, do you know what a DQT is? And one of the kids raised his hand. He says, a dark, quick tan. He said, no, 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 it's not that. Uh, Anybody else have any ideas? A little girl raised her hand, and she said, it's Dairy Queen time. (laughs) No, no, it's a daily quiet time. It's a time for you to spend with God. Do you have a daily quiet time? Do you have a moment in time when you spend every single day in the word of God, in prayer, and not just praying to God, asking him to provide your needs, but to listen to the Holy Spirit speaking? you. It's a discipline that will serve you well the rest of your Christian journey. You see, Paul was compelled by the Spirit to go. The word compelled there in this verse says that he was bound, he was constrained, he was under conviction. Do you realize that Jesus, after his baptism, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil? In Luke 9.52, we learn that Jesus is now on his final journey to Jerusalem. It's called the road to Jerusalem from 9.52, Luke 9.52, all the way to the time that he is actually presented before uh, Ananias, the high priest. And it's interesting And he says this. It says in Luke 9.52, Jesus resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem. He was bound and determined to go, just like Paul was. Paul was undeterred. Even though it says here, I don't know what will happen to me when I get to Jerusalem. He was determined to go. You know, all of us have our way. We're on our way to our Jerusalem, whatever that is. My question for you this morning is what is your Jerusalem? Where are you headed? What is your mission? Verse 23, Paul uh, was warned by the Holy Spirit he would face prison and hardships. Do you realize that the disciples in Tyre actually tried to talk him out of going to Jerusalem? There was even a prophet named Agabus who tried to tell him, don't go because you will be bound and imprisoned. What was Paul's response? This is the Apostle Paul. I am ready not only to be bound but also to go to Jerusalem and die for the name of Jesus Christ he insisted on going you realize Jesus told his disciples that they would be persecuted for his name's sake it's coming folks you will be persecuted because you are a follower of Jesus Christ we never thought this would happen But in our country, we're experiencing right now the very first part of persecution of the church of Jesus Christ. The apostles rejoiced when they suffered persecution, being counted worthy. They counted themselves worthy to suffer for Jesus Christ. Peter told the church that they should consider themselves blessed when they are insulted for following Jesus Christ. And of course, the apostle Paul eagerly declares, I expect and I hope that Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. You see, Paul considered his life on this earth worth nothing compared to the glory that will appear in his next life. You see, the Christian that really is surrendered to the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, has a perspective that is so unique and comforting. No matter what comes into your life, when you have God in your life, he's in control. What would keep you from following and obeying the Holy Spirit in your life? Well, secondly, Paul was singularly focused singularly focused look at what it says there in verse 24 he says if only if only i may finish the race and complete the task the lord jesus has given to me the task of testifying to the gospel of god's grace paul had one aim one purpose one mission How many of you have ever seen the TV show or the movie uh, franchise Mission Impossible? Have you ever seen that before? Okay. Dun, 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 dun. dun. Right? You know, and it's great, you know. And and at the beginning of the TV show, he would always get a call on a payphone. For you young people, that's a phone that hangs on a wall, okay? (laughs) And he would get a call, and the call would always end with these words. Your mission... Should you choose to accept it, is this. We're on a mission. Do you realize that the Christian life is a race that we're all on? We're all on a race. The Christian life is a journey. It's a pilgrimage. It is a race for us to run. Paul, Paul often used this motif in Scripture. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 and 25, he says this. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. The idea behind this is that we are to be fully sold out to the mission of God in our lives. You know, today is Super Bowl Sunday. And at the end of the Super Bowl today, they will raise a trophy named after a man who is called Vince Lombardi. The Vince Lombardi trophy he was a, a, a famous coach a hall of fame coach for the Green Bay Packers and he uh, after winning his second Super Bowl they all get a ring and after he won his second Super Bowl he included the idea of this verse of scripture that I just read to you in his ring run to win run to win and then he, he was quoted as saying this, When we place our full dependence on God, we are unencumbered and we have no need to worry. This is the same God that has won every single battle until now. You see, Vince Lombardi understood football, but he also had faith. And he understood the principle of running in such a way as to get the prize. And of course, in Hebrews chapter 12, we are told by the writer there, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of Almighty. You see, this is Jesus, who is our pioneer. He's our forerunner. And we should run the race with perseverance. And then, of course, in Timothy, the Second Timothy letter, it's the last letter Paul wrote. He wrote to his young protege, Timothy, these words. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You see, Paul knew that his journey as a Christian was a race. But it wasn't just a race, it was also to complete a task that Jesus had given him. Look at what it says there. If only I may finish the race, and what? And complete the task the Lord Jesus had given. And so what is that task? You know, to complete a task is something that's major, it's bold. It's something that God has called him to. You know, Jesus told Ananias when Paul was converted after his uh, ride to Damascus, he said this, This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name, to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer from my name. You see, this is the the proclamation of Paul's call by God. Paul was singularly focused. Letter after letter after letter. He reemphasizes his calling by God. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. As I stand here this morning. I will tell you that is my uh, commitment to this church. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so I, I give that commitment to you this morning. But this task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. You know, to testify. You know, the Greek word here, to testify, literally means, it's, it's the Greek word marturion. Marturion. And do you realize what, uh, what modern-day English word we get from that Greek word? Martyr. Martyr. So the Greek word for testify is equivalent to being a martyr. What does a martyr do? They lay down their life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. They consider their life nothing, if only to gain Christ. To give a testimony in court means to give an account. To tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And guess what, friends? We have the truth. The truth is right here. And all we have to do is share it. You know, the church is God's rescue mission agency. For the mankind on this earth. For every single human being. We are the rescue mission. So what is God's grace then? When it says give the testimony or testify to the gospel of God's grace. What is God's grace? It's unmerited favor. It's that God has given us something that we don't deserve. That's what grace is. In Titus chapter 2 verses 11 and 12 it says this. For the grace of God has appeared to all, to all people that offers salvation. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life in this present age. And of course, most of us know Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. What does it say? For it is by grace, it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourself, lest anyone should boast. It is the gift of God. So the gospel is very simple. When you go and you meet with a friend, you tell them, God loves you. God loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But then you share with him, the problem though is that we have sin in our lives. We've inherited the sin from Adam and we choose to sin on our own. And that sin separates us from a holy God. God is too holy to commune with sin. Knowing that no human being could ever work their way up to God. We could never do enough to please God. Then God provided the solution. He himself became one of us. His name named Jesus Christ. And when Jesus came into this world, he said, I have not come for the healthy but the sick. I have not come to take care of people who think they're righteous. I have come to bring righteousness because I have fulfilled the law of God in my body. And so Jesus took on our sin for us. He who had no sin became sin for us. You see, that's the beauty of it. It's that though we are lost, we are helpless, we are hopeless, Jesus bridges the gap between us and God by the cross of Jesus Christ. That is why we come to this open grace, this free grace, by means of faith in Jesus Christ. You see, we all have one mission, folks. When we walk out of this church, the very next thing we should be thinking is, how do I get this gospel to as many people as I possibly can? That is our mission. That is our calling. And that is our mission for God. You see, Jesus left the Great Commission to his disciples, did he not? What did he tell them? Just before he ascended into glory. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So my question this morning for all of us as we walk out of this room today, are you spirit-filled? Does the Holy Spirit have his way? And are you singularly focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul's commitment, his surrendering of his life to the Holy Spirit, and his commitment to sharing the gospel with as many people as he possibly could. I pray, Lord, that you will. Move on our hearts that we too might embrace this one mission from you to share the gospel with every single person we should come into contact with so that your name might be glorified and your kingdom might be advanced in this generation and beyond. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.